Hey, Top News listeners, this is Luke Garrett. And Megan Cloherty. We're the hosts of WTOP's daily local news podcast, The DMV Download. Don't worry, top news from WTOP isn't going away, but we wanted to drop in and give you a taste of what we're producing, a podcast that goes deeper into the biggest stories of the day. If you like what you hear, head over to the DMV Download podcast and subscribe. It's Monday, September 12th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, the man who police call the shopping cart killer went before a judge for the first time, charged with killing two women and transporting their bodies in a shopping cart. While he's also a suspect in three other women's murders in Northern Virginia and D.C., Neil Augenstein tells us why Anthony Robinson is appearing in a Harrisonburg court first. We're just starting to learn some of the details about what allegedly brought uh, Anthony Eugene Robinson in contact with these women and how he interacted with them up here in Harrisonburg. And as King Charles III begins his reign, a funny story about meeting then Prince Charles from our Sandy Cozell. I mean, I just bumped into him on vacation, sort of, and and what? had a little little thing with him, sort of. No, no. Very, oh my goodness. Very innocent thing. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. Nine months after Fairfax County Police Chief Kevin Davis called Eugene Robinson a serial killer, he appeared in court 115 miles away today, facing two counts of first-degree murder of two women from Harrisonburg and Charlottesville. A judge found probable cause for two counts of first-degree murder after seeing video in court of Robinson walk into a hotel room with two women and then leave with bodies wrapped in sheets in a shopping cart. WTOP's Neil Augenstein is there reporting from the courthouse, and Neil joined me earlier from Harrisonburg to talk about the case. Neil, first of all, thanks for doing this. I know it's a long day for you. My pleasure. Always glad to talk with you. So let's back up a bit and just let people know who maybe aren't sure, you know, how this whole thing started. Tell us how investigators realized these murders were likely committed by the same person and how and when they found Robinson. Let's just kind of start from the beginning. What we learned today was a little bit about how police first learned about Anthony Eugene Robinson. They'd been looking for a missing person from the Harrisonburg area. Her name is uh, Beth Redmond. She's been missing for a while. When they got a call from Charlottesville police who were uh, who had a missing person by the name of Tanita Smith, Charlottesville called Harrisonburg and said, we've got a missing person case, and her phone is pinging in a Howard Johnson's there in Harrisonburg. So the police here went and they, they checked it out and they found out that the phone was pinging in the hotel room hmm. where Anthony Eugene Robinson was staying. He was living here in Harrisonburg for the time being. He was working at the George's Chicken Food Processing plant, which is uh, right nearby. I visited a, a bit earlier this morning. And as part of the, the work arrangement, he was being put up in the Howard Johnson's there, which is kind of a rundown motel. Yeah. But that's where he was staying for, for quite a while. Police did find the phone. And when they looked nearby, they found two bodies. And uh, they said that, that those were uh, Aileen, Beth, Redmond, and Tanita Smith. And they were like in a dumpster nearby, or do you know where they were found? 
the bodies of the two women were found within view of the room where Anthony Eugene Robinson was staying. The bodies were in a, uh, in a tree line that Anthony Eugene Robinson could see from his hotel room in the Howard Johnson. So we know that um, Anthony Eugene Robinson is um, a suspect in cases in Fairfax County and in D.C. Um, this thing is starting in Harrisonburg. So let's talk about the, the victims in D.C. and Fairfax, and then we'll get to today's uh, court hearing. Yes, uh, I think people first heard of the name Anthony Eugene Robinson because of a uh, news conference that Fairfax County police held with Harrisonburg police. Uh just to refresh your memory, Robinson was already arrested here in Harrisonburg for the two murders. Uh, and then when Fairfax learned of what was going on, uh, Fairfax Police Chief Kevin Davis was the one who, who dubbed Robinson the, uh, the shopping cart serial killer. And that's how most people heard about it during the news conference uh, when, when they learned that he was already in custody and under arrest here in, in Harrisonburg. Now, since then, the two victims in Fairfax County mm-hmm. who were found uh, in a plastic tub right near uh, Route 1 by a, a motel, uh, those victims are Cheyenne Brown and Stephanie Harrison. Uh, he has not been charged with either of those murders. Also in that time, there's been a uh, fifth victim by the name of Sonia Champ uh, from the district who was found in a shopping cart there in Northeast D.C. Uh, Robinson has not been charged in that murder either. This trial in, in Harrisonburg will play out first because the evidence is the strongest here. And then after that, then he would be charged in the uh, in the Fairfax and D.C. cases, uh, in part because they might learn something during the trial here and also uh, because having him be a convicted uh, killer in Harrisonburg would help them as they make their cases in D.C. And, and Fairfax. And I know there's been some question, um, at least out of Fairfax County, about how these women were killed, because we obviously know the, the horrible state in which they were found. Um, is there any more indication, you know, how they were killed or if they were all killed in the same way? Well, in all five of the cases, the uh, medical examiner said that it was murder. But there has not been any case in which the medical examiner was able to determine exactly how the women were killed. So that does pose a a bit of a challenge for prosecutors in making their case, but, uh, but, and perhaps we'll never know how they, how they died. Obviously there's a lot of uh, circumstantial evidence that, that will come in uh, phone records, digital uh, tracing, uh, that sort of thing. And, uh, and, Perhaps that will, would be enough for uh, prosecutors to, to win a conviction. Um, we learned that Robinson's attorney sought a gag order, so police will stop referring to his client as the shopping cart killer. But obviously, Chief Davis gave him that name for a reason. Can we talk about what investigators say was Robinson's M.O. and how he met these women? When Chief Davis first called Anthony Robinson the shopping cart killer, he said that his M.O. was that he met people on, on dating apps and, and lured them to hotels, killed them, and then uh, rolled their bodies away in a shopping cart and, and disposed of them. Oh. Since then, uh, the family of one victim, uh, Stephanie Harrison, 
has said that that there's no way that that she would have been using a, a dating app, uh, and uh, police are at least open to the possibility that uh, Harrison just happened to be at the same hotel uh, where Robinson was, and he killed her there. So Robinson is suspected in five women's killings. We'll see how things go in Harrisonburg and what you know what proceeds. But Neil, tell us about just being there and kind of you know you said you went to his workplace and. And now we're hearing uh, more details about the case. What is your take on this very high-profile case? Well, as is often the case, and especially in serial killer cases, uh, a lot of pieces come together as time goes on. And and the prosecution takes a while to develop in in different jurisdictions. So we're just starting to learn some of the details about what allegedly brought uh, Anthony Eugene Robinson in contact with these women and how uh, he interacted with them up here in Harrisonburg uh, over time. And as the uh, as the court process works its way uh, with patients uh, for the for the victims, families, uh, eventually we'll learn more about what happened in the other jurisdictions and likely trials will happen in, in Fairfax and D.C. Well, we know you'll be on it. Neil Augenstein reporting from Harrisonburg. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. After the break, as the UK says goodbye to the Queen, a story from our Sandy Kozell about meeting the future King of England. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like this show, give us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We love hearing from you guys, and your reviews really do help other listeners find this, our area's only in-depth daily local news podcast. And thank you for making us a part of your day. Okay. She has told me very little about what this story is. Sandy Kozell is here. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Megan. And apparently you have some juicy, juicy gossip. No, you have a story about <laughs> Prince Charles, now King Charles. Now King Charles. And, I mean, I just bumped into him on vacation, sort of. and <laughs> As you do. And what? had a little little thing with him, sort of. No, no, no. It's very, oh, my in- goodness. Very innocent thing. But okay. whenever I tell anybody about this, I'm like, really? You shook Prince Charles's hand? And this was obviously well before security was so huge. Yeah. You know, way before 9-11, he was a young man. I was a young woman, and I went on vacation, my first big vacation overseas. Okay. And I went to London because it's easy. You know, they speak English. Yeah. <laughs> I was by myself, but with a tour group. Okay. But we flew in overnight, and I wanted to do something. I didn't want to go to sleep. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I looked through the paper and saw something that said the Prince of Wales was going to appear at a children's fair in Battersea Park. Okay. I wasn't even sure that the Prince of Wales was who I thought it was or where Battersea (laughs) Park was. But I checked, and yes, Prince Charles was the Prince of Wales. I thought, well, this might be worth going. Yeah, just to kind of see the pomp and circumstance of it all. Yeah. Right. So I figured out how to get to Battersea Park. I took two buses by myself in a strange place, (laughs) got to this park, and it was like going to Central Park. It was huge. Really? I thought, how am I going to find Prince Charles here? Well, 
<laughs> I found a Bobby. I said, is the prince here? And he goes, yes, that's him over there. You see some people walking. So I walked across this big expanse, and he was walking along a sidewalk with the Lord Mayor of London through these exhibits of a children's fair. And there really weren't many people there at all. Huh. I mean, some people were lining the sidewalk. So I kind of kept walking until I found an open spot. And when it was my chance, I blurted out, Your Highness, greetings from Buffalo, New York. <laughs> Did you plan that or it just came out? No, it just came out. <laughs> what did he say? Well, he extended his hand to me to shake my hand. And quickly going through my brain is remembering the story because a few weeks earlier, his mother had visited Toronto. Mm -hmm. And it was big news because someone had touched her, you know, touched her shoulder or something. And I thought, you're not allowed to touch royalty. But yeah. I'm, thinking, quick, I'm thinking, but he's extending his hand to me, so I should be able to shake. So I shook his hand and I can... Confirm that he has a very nice, firm handshake. <laughs> okay. And then he started asking me questions. Oh. It's like, like, well, uh, are you, uh, where are you from? Well, obviously he knew where I was from because I said Buffalo. Hmm. He said, are you enjoying yourself? I'd been there like two hours and took two buses to Battersea. <laughs> and I was, oh, yes, I'm having a great time. And he asked me something else. I don't even remember what. And then he took off. He, he kept walking. And I thought to myself, well, here's a downside of traveling by yourself, because I obviously didn't have a picture of the two of us. <laughs> right. It well, only, this, only your memory. So I took a picture of him kind of close up, but no, selfies weren't a thing then, and right? I had nobody to take our picture. So I take my buses back to the hotel, and our tour guide was sitting at a desk in the lobby, and I went up to her and I said, I'm not sure if this is a big deal or not. But I just shook hands with Prince Charles. And she looked at me, <laughs> took a second, and said, Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Do you even know who Prince Charles is, girl from Buffalo? Yeah. And, and um, I said, Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. It's like, why do you ask? And she said, Well, let's put it this way. I've lived here all my life, and no one in my family has ever seen a royal person in person. Oh, really? Well, no, yes, yeah, speaking to what you were saying earlier about, you know, the way in which you greet a royal, it reminds me, we had a um, report on today from our Gigi Barnett, and she spoke to this woman named Judy Ross, who worked at Children's National Hospital in 2007 when the Queen came to visit. There were so many emails going around with, about the protocol to curtsy, not to curtsy, um, don't shake her hand. There were funny moments with the monarch. One little girl who must have been about four or five years old who was wearing a crown and she had her tutu on and she was decorating and icing cookies with the queen, calling her queenie. <laughs> but when news of her death arrived... I was just very sad. I love the queen. And today the, the queen's whole family is in Scotland, you know, holding this vigil and mourning her passing, but it's just sort of interesting to see it play out and see, you know, the emotion on their faces. Yeah, when they when they moved, like, all through Scotland, they showed from the air that there, in one stretch, there were people on horseback all lining up because mm -hmm. of her love of horses, mm -hmm. just kind of lining the way for her, the procession to go by. It was very touching. Yeah. Because the farmers thought that I, apparently, you know, with all their <laughs> big land holdings, they know about say. land and farming <laughs> and animals, and yeah. so... They apparently had a lot of respect for her still. Sandy Kozell with a little look back. Thank you for sharing your memory, Sandy. You're welcome. And that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. Thank you so much for listening. Luke, of course, is in France and sharing some photos on social media if you want to check it out. 
We are sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Leave us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. And you can find out more about this podcast and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a good night, guys. 